Well, in, in Revelation chapter uh, 7, I, I don't want to go back over the part in Revelation chapter 7 that deals with the 144,000 witnesses. I've spent two weeks, and really I never got to where I wanted to go. So I am going to finish that this morning before we go further. But in Revelation chapter 7, beginning at verse 9, I mentioned this, I think, at the beginning of last Sunday's message about um, can, any, is anybody saved during the tribulation? And, uh, and of course, there, there, there are multitudes of people that are saved. But by the way, let me remind you that in, to, just to think, I mean, in the world that we live in now, again, this is not the wrath of God. The, the, as chaotic and as bizarre and as wicked and as unsettling as our culture is and the world is now, this is not the wrath of God. So is it going to get worse? Yes, it is going to get worse. And as bad as it is, neither is this Satan at his worst. Okay, Because all the angels have not been cast out of heaven to this earth, and neither has the Holy Spirit been removed. There's coming a day, as we was talking to me and John, we are talking earlier about this, there's coming a day where the Holy Spirit through us, through the church, it will be removed through the rapture. It's called the restrainer. The restrainer is going to be removed. But not only that, so the Holy Spirit and His presence in the churches and in believers will be removed. The Thessalonians tells us this. But also Satan is going to be cast and, and their whole domain is going to be limited to the earth. And the Bible says he will know his time is short. So the world is wicked as it is now. This is bad grammar, good theology. You ain't seen anything yet. Wick, it, it's gone. Can you imagine the wickedness without the Holy Spirit here? It's going to be amazing. But in the midst of that, the wrath of God and the deception of Satan, you're going to have these witnesses that we've mentioned two or three weeks in a row, these 144,000 witnesses. Again, they're not the only witnesses. You have the two great witnesses, which seem to be Old Testament prophets that never died, and they're back on this earth preaching the gospel. And then you have other messages, angelic messages, and we'll get to all that at one, at one time. But I'm picking up in chapter 7, verse 9. Okay, Now again, this is during the tribulation. The church has been removed. You can read chapter 4, verse 1, when John is taken up. It says, after these things, and then it says, after this, John was caught up, just like the church is going to be. And so from chapter 4 through chapter 19, the church is removed and it's the tribulation. Okay? And we say tribulation, um, we call it seven years of tribulation. And, and that's really correct. You call it the time of Jacob's trouble. But really it's the last three and a half years that, it, that most people really focus in on because it's called the great tribulation. And even Jesus said it was the great tribulation. He mentioned the seven years and he mentioned the great tribulation the last three and a half years. So either Jesus didn't know what he was talking about or there's going to be a tribulation and there's going to be a great tribulation. This is people being saved in the tribulation. Verse 9. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no, verse 9, that no one could number. Look where they come from. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. 
They're standing before the throne of God and standing before the Lamb of God. Isn't that awesome? Clothed in white robes. And if you go further and we were to go read in Revelation 19 at the marriage supper of the Lamb, you and I are going to be clothed in white robes. Now, folks, this isn't the church. These are not people saved in the church age. These are people that are saved during the tribulation. However, when they're saved, they're given white robes with palm branches in their hands. This is what John sees. And they're crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne. That's a pretty incredible scene John sees. I don't know how many angels there are, but scholars that, that, that guess at this, you know, there's hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of angels probably. So John says, I see, and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders. The elders represent the church. And the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God. Again, you're getting a scene of what heaven's going to be like. And, and they worship God saying, Amen. Blessings and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Boy, that's a, that's a confession of worship, is it not? That is a confession of worship. Let me read it again. They say, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then, then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? Now, you the elders, you know, so you know, you realize that, that this is not part of the, the body, the bride of Christ. Now, again, I'm not going to get into all this right now, but there's Old Testament saints. There's New Testament saints, which are called the bride of Christ. The Old Testament saints are not called the bride of Christ. There's, so you have all these different groups of people. You have the Old Testament saints, you have the bride of Christ, and the elders represent the saved people, the church, and then you're going to have uh, what they call tribulation saints. So then one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these? Addressed John. Who are these clothed in white robes and from where did they come? And of course John says, I said to him, Sir, you know. You know who they are. John doesn't know. And it says, And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And let me just read a couple more. It says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. Again, I want to, you can read this and just get a glimpse of what, what we're going to be doing in heaven. I, I get frustrated sometimes or angry, and hopefully it's a righteous anger, when I hear people talk about all the things they're going to tell Jesus when they get to heaven and all the things they're going to straighten out about what they didn't know. And, and when you see glimpses of heaven, this is what people do. They fall down before the Lord Jesus Christ 
you just can't believe that God has saved you from your sins and has provided an abiding place for you for eternity. But it says, look, it says in verse 15, so they, they're for the throne of God and they serve Him day and night in His temple. Look, read your Bible. They, so, we, so they, which is going to be the same as we, but they, these tribulation saints, are going to serve Him night and day in the temple, which is part of this new Jerusalem you know, that descends. There'll be a temple. Now, if you want to learn something that maybe you've never thought about, there's day and night. And obviously, this is probably during that thousand-year reign, right? Okay, So they were saved, and, and after the tribulation, there goes this thousand-year kingdom reign, right? Christ returns at the end of the tribulation, establishes a kingdom. All these people that were martyred, along with those of us that have been raptured in heaven, we reign with Christ on the earth. We will serve Him night and day. And, and, and we will serve, of course, we will serve Him in many different places. But ho hold your finger right here and just flip over a couple of pages to Revelation 22, 5. Now, eventually, we'll get to Revelation 22, okay, when we're reading it and studying it later on, probably in the year 2024. And um, I know that's what you're thinking. Every time you're thinking, good Lord, we've been in this forever. Um, but look at 2022, 20, make sure I know what I'm talking about, 22.5. And notice that in this, is, now this is after the thousand-year reign, there's a new heaven and a new earth. You can read part of that in chapter 21. And it says in chapter 22, 3, No longer will there be any accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And His servants will worship Him. Verse 4, They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You can go back up in chapter 21 and at the end of verse 25, 25 says, And its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. Now, this is not during the thousand-year reign. During the thousand-year reign, really, the earth is, is redeemed and we go back to like it was in the days of, of the Garden of Eden. That's what Romans 8, creation is now groaning for its redemption. So creation that God made and then cursed it, and so now there's tornadoes and, you know, and there's floods. The earth's going to be set in order just like it was in the Garden of Eden. So that's going to go on for a thousand years. And, you know, then there's a final rebellion, and this is a lot to think about, and then God destroys everything by fire and makes a new heaven and a new earth. But in the new heaven and the new earth, there is no more night. There's a song called No More Night. I love the song. But it's speaking about our eternal state. This is the eternal state. You have the thousand-year reign, which is heaven on earth. We're reigning with Christ. But then you have the eternal state. So it's just interesting that you're reading here in chapter 7, and it mentions day and night, but obviously it has to be the thousand-year reign because there will be no night in the eternal state. Go back to chapter 7. We're, we're continuing. It says, And they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Now look what it says. That's I want to read of this. And you can answer this. You don't have to answer it out loud, but you probably do have the answer. They, speaking of the tribulation saints, right? That's where the pronoun speaking about the, the tribulation saints. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun will not strike them, nor any scorching heat. Now why in the world is that in there? 
these folks are saved. They're robed in white robes, but yet in the, in the prophecy, they reveal to John that these that are saved and in white robes that were saved out of the tribulation will no longer hunger nor thirst nor be, nor be beat up by the, the elements. Why is that there? You think through this. What's going to happen to people that do not, do not take the mark during the tribulation? You can answer this out loud. It's okay. They can't buy and sell. And if you can't buy and sell and you're trying to hide and you're not, you refuse to take the mark of the beast, and eventually you're going to get martyred, but until you get martyred, most people will be martyred. Until that happens, you will hunger and thirst because you can't buy food and you can't get drink. You with me? And one reason you can't get drink is some stuff we're going to discover in just a minute because God starts bringing judgments on the earth. So it's just interesting that the Bible refers to that. And the sun will not strike them. And then it says, for the Lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them. Now, we're going to pick back up in chapter 8, verse 1. But before we do that, just extremely important that we go to chapter 14. I just want to show you this real quick. And I, I know I, I struggle with myself when I preach without an outline. I, I don't have much of an outline this morning, but um, hopefully at the end I'll bring it all together. But but this is, I want to go back and look at just a couple of truths about the 144,000 witnesses, okay? We know they're Jewish witnesses, we know that. But I want to drop down, just, just pick up in the context. Verse 2 says, And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters. And, and you and I know that sound. I mean, we've been in a stadium. I love the, how he describes it when he says like the roar of many waters. You and I have both been in stadiums or, or, or coliseums where the crowd roars, and that's what it sounds like. It sounds like this, uh, the roaring of waters, uh, and, and like the sound of a loud thunder. And the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing new, a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures. And before the elders... No one, they've sang before the elders too, and no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Now, folks, these 144,000 are redeemed sinners. Now, just as God, and this is an amazing thing, there's 12,000 from each tribe. You can go back and read that in chapter, chapter 6. Uh, there's, there's 12, or chapter 7, there's 12,000 from, 12, from each tribe. How God does that, I don't know. But I do know that He called Israel. He called Abraham and made Abraham a great nation. I mean, God can do that. And He can call them and save them. It's a sovereign thing. So, but no one can learn this except the 144,000 who have been redeemed from the earth. Okay? They're not angelic Jews. I mean, it's not like they died. In our, these are people that are on the earth. The tribulation starts and God has saved them. Or maybe they're saved in that gap between. Again, I'm redundant, but let's think through this. The tribulation does not start at the rapture. When God removes His bride from the face of this earth, because we're not appointed under wrath, that, that does not start the tribulation. The event that starts the tribulation where we mark the seven years is from the signing of that covenant. When the Antichrist makes an agreement, a covenant peace treaty, with Israel, and he signs this covenant. That begins the seven years of tribulation. So you know, when you're thinking about timelines, you know, the tribulation does not begin. So maybe during that span, maybe it's a year between the rapture and the beginning of that covenant. And that's when God saves 
these 144,000 Jewish witnesses. We don't know, but they are saved. They're redeemed, just like you and I are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. That's a very interesting statement. And I wanted to read this to give you some things to think about. Okay? When, when the, and again, I, I don't know for sure exactly what, when, when John has revealed this about these 144,000, that they, are, they, are, they have not defiled themselves with women, and for they are virgins. Now, one thing to think about is that the Bible describes in, uh, let me see if I wrote it down, in, in Revelation 18, it describes Babylon. Like you have mystery, you have Israel, and you have Jerusalem. And then the wicked world, you have this place called Mystery Babylon. It's going all the way back to when the Tower of Babel, the first worldwide rebellion, that you have this Mystery Babylon that's going to be leading, that's the leading city uh, during the tribulation, a wicked city. It's called the Great Whore. And, and, it, and, it, and it says it leads, you can read this in chapter 18, 3 and 4, it leads the world into immorality. So not only will the world be demonic, the world will be immoral. It's just like it is now, but, but it'll be worse because all the restraints have been removed. So immorality will be the way of life during the tribulations. People, so these people that are saved are pure. So maybe it's talking about this pure living in the midst of what's known as the whore of Babylon lifestyle. Um, or maybe it's referring to, I'll tell you what, because you read the, it says, the, are you looking at your Bibles? Okay. It says, it is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Okay. So if you take it in context, so it could be that they're pure, they're not immoral, could be that they're pure, that could be the reference. Or it could be referring to an idea would be in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul makes this comment that for people that don't get married, they have more time to serve the Lord. You can read it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 7, uh, verse 33, he's mentioning that if you stay single, you, you don't have to worry about a wife. That's what it says. And so you have more. So maybe that's one reason why these guys are unmarried and they're virgins. So they can serve. And that's, that next phrase would almost support that. So their whole lives are committed. They don't have family and children. Uh, they they just they're they're married to the Lord Jesus, so to speak. That's a good idea to think about. By the way, in heaven, when you and I get to heaven, right, there will not be marrying. You you won't be marriage in heaven because we won't we won't be. You know, you need a wife, you need a spouse, you need a helper, you need a protector. You don't need that when you're when you're completed, right? So maybe it's a picture of that, but just. Things to think about. But keep reading because I want to show you one more thing and then we'll go back to chapter 8. Said, it is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. By the way, John 12, 26 says, uh, wherever I, Jesus, John 12, Jesus says, wherever I am, there will my servants be. So whatever Jesus would be doing, that's what His servants would be doing. I, and I think about, you know, what do I do? How do I live? Well, these guys, everywhere Jesus goes, that's where they went. These had been redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God. By the way, their life, and that's an implication that their life. So when the tribulation begins, they're on the scene, it seems like, and they are examples to everybody that's going to be saved. Interesting. So they're, they're from mankind as first fruits for God and of the Lamb. Now look what it says. And in their mouth there is no lie. 
was found, for they are blameless. Now, here's the word I want you to see. The word blameless. Now, it doesn't say they were perfect. Now, this, this is profound to think through. These are 144,000 witnesses that God has saved, and their main role during the seven years is to share the gospel worldwide. And it's going to work because chapter 7 lists people from every tribe, every nation, every place. People get saved. So they are fruitful along with the witnesses, two witnesses, and the angelic witnesses. But it says, no lie was found for they are... Are you looking at your Bibles? You're going to learn something today. They are blameless. Now, that's key because you'd almost think these guys are supermen, you know. They're, they're not really human. They're super saints. You know, they're like angels. No, that word blameless kind of reveals that. It's the word that you would use in the Old Testament for without blemish, for a lamb, without blemish. Going back further than that, it's the same word, if you're comparing the languages, when Noah found favor with God, and the Bible says, and his generations were blameless. It's the same phrase. He, he, was, he was untainted by the Nephilim seed. He was blameless. Wasn't perfect. Doesn't say he was without sin. Doesn't say he was perfect. But they were, they were blameless. They were, they, were a, they were a suitable sacrifice to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Many things these 144,000 witnesses do besides sharing the gospel. The Bible says there are examples to all who are going to be saved. I love that. Back to chapter 8. These next two chapters are pretty strong. We can only get to chapter 8. It says, When the Lamb opened the seventh seal. Now remember the Lamb, which is Jesus, He's the one that opens the seal judgments, right? Remember no one worthy to open the seal. No man was found worthy to open the, the seals and break its seals and this title deed to the earth, this ownership, this document that, that, that only the owner of the world can open up, and it's Jesus, and he breaks the seals. He's breaking the so this is the seventh seal. And if you remember, heck, the sixth seal was way back in chapter, was in like chapter six. So it's been, we've kind of had a little break between the sixth seal and the seventh seal. Um, but now it says, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God. Now, these seven angels are very important because they're fixing to do some stuff with the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments. But we have these. I saw these seven angels who stand before God so this is inside this seventh seal. You with me? I'm, I've mentioned that several times. You, you have the seventh seal, and inside that seal, there, there are um, the trumpets. And then when that seventh trumpet sounds, inside that trumpet blast, there's the bowl judgments. By the way, years and years ago, we went to the best fireworks display I've ever seen was we visited some friends of ours in, in Rogers, uh, Arkansas, and we went to Walmart. It was, was there on the 4th of July. So on the night of 4th of July, I think, we went to see Diana Rooms. We went to see fireworks, and Walmart put the fireworks show on, right? I mean, they went on forever. I mean, you almost got tired of watching them. They just, obviously, they had the resources. It just fireworks everywhere. It just went on. 
But you'll remember, you remember, like if you see a big fireworks display, that last one, you know, the finale, I guess is what they would call it. And, and some of the other ones do this. I don't want you to lose thought, but you know, the, you'll have a big burst, but inside that burst, there's other bursts waiting to blow, right? And so you'll have one big thing, and then all of a sudden, out of that, and there'll be five more, and then out of those five, there'll be another five more. You know, it's kind of, and that's kind of what you have here in the, I know that's maybe a not great illustration, but that's kind of how you hear, this is how the, these seal, seals, trumpets, and bowls come. They're, they're all, once that first seal is open, the rest of it's spoken for. It's all going to happen, and they're going to happen successively, and you, you see that. Um, so anyway, so you have this, so there's silence in heaven. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he, he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of the saints and on the golden altar before the throne. Do you know? Well, look, look, go back to chapter 5. You're, since you're right there, go to chapter 5. This is one reason, uh, I keep, I'm sorry, I keep fogging up my glasses and taking them off. And not really, I can't see when I take them off. But, but uh, Heck, I lost my train of thought. What did I just say? What book? I'm just kidding, I know what book. Yeah. Okay. Look, look at chapter 5, verse 8. Do you know that, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> that's embarrassing. Aren't you glad you're not up here doing that? Okay. Um, who am I? Okay. The chapter 5, verse 8 says, it, it tells us something about the prayers. It says, um, I think it's chapter verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense. Look what it says. Which are the prayers of the saints? Now, folks. In a couple of weeks, on a Friday night, we're going to have prayer and Bible study. Not, not more of it's going to be prayer. Uh, it's on in May. You'll see it on the calendar. And I want to do this once every eight weeks or so. Have a time where we could just come and share and then pray. Do you know that that the prayers of the saints are kept by God? This the symbolism here is pretty incredible. That. The symbolism is God's, your prayers, and, and really it, it leaves it open that each one of us have a bowl. Now, I'm not saying there's a literal, you know, bowl, but symbolically each of us have a, some kind of receptacle that identifies our prayers that are in this receptacle. It's it, good implication there. The, here it says, so it's, it's the prayers of the saints. Well, then you pick back up here in chapter 8. And it says, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So part of this silence is because, because of the prayers of the saints and God responding to the prayers of the saints. Um, one of the times the Bible says Jesus stood still was when somebody cried out in a prayer, you know, that and begged Jesus for something. And the Bible says Jesus stood still. So... It's very interesting the thought of what prayers do and how God, He doesn't forget our prayers. They're stored. And, of course, He answers them all. Yes, no, later. You know, yes, no, later. But, but they're, they're, and so now you're thinking if each of us have some kind of receptacle or something where we're going to be aware of our prayer lives when we get there, this is incredible. 
So it says, and so the smoke, and of course the, in, the altar of incense, that's what it represented anyway in, in the temple, the tabernacle and the temple, was, was you had this altar. Now it wasn't the big brazen altar where they burned the sacrifice. So this was a little one. But they would bring the coals from the blood sacrifice where they burned the sacrifice in the, out, of the outer court. They would bring the coals from that same fire and they would, they would burn incense. And by the way, it was an incense that only you could use for worship. It's four spices put together and you would be executed if you used this personally. It was a spice that was only made to burn as an incense in worship. Interesting. So this is, this is part of the history. And so now this incense, so from an Old Testament picture, now you have this incense that represents the prayers of the saints. They rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and he filled it with fire from the altar, almost just like they do in the temple. And he threw it on the earth and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So part of the prayers of the saints have to do with God bringing judgment on those that have rejected Christ and have persecuted believers. And that's kind of what this part of this picture is. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. Verse 6. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hell and fire mixed with blood. And there were thrown, and there were thrown upon the earth. I'm sorry, I read that. Let me read verse 7 again like I know what I'm doing. And the first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hell and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown upon the earth. Look what it says. And a third of the earth was burned up. Now this, now we're understanding why people that get saved and don't take the mark, you know, there's a lot of things going on. It says, and a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up. Now, you got to think, you know, food. I mean, you're thinking about crops, fruit trees. That's one thing. It says that all the green grass was burned up. <clears throat> you know, people try to think that we can do things today. And I, we don't need to be bad stewards, but it says if we can we, one person's footprint, can change the quality of the air. You know, that's a big thing now. They worship that sometimes and make that a God. But I don't know if you've thought about this, if you're looking at this verse, and, and again, so a third of the trees and the green grass, gone, gone. And besides those, some of those trees being apple trees, and you know what I'm saying, okay. But beside that, the other thing I thought about, and I've never thought this, but... You talked about not being any clean air when all the leaves of a third of the trees are gone. How about the quality of oxygen, right? How much oxygen? There's, there's no photosynthesis going on in those, those leaves and trees to put off oxygen and to purify the oxygen. So I don't even think, it doesn't say anything about that, but you know, you know how it is. It's cleaner air in the mountains because there's trees. You know what I'm talking about. Well, can you imagine a third of the earth's trees being gone, burnt, burnt up, and, and the green grass burned up? This is part of God's judgment. So that was the first angel. This is the trumpet judgments. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain. 
probably wasn't a great mountain. That's, John, that's why John says something like, okay, similar, a simile, just, you know, something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. So now you have seafood. You're, now your source of seafood is diminished. You have the sea becoming poisoned with, with blood. Um, and dead things in, in the water. And, and then you have uh, the ships destroyed. You know, and... Uh, I know there's tens of thousands of shipping. I don't know anything. I, we've been to New Orleans and the ports there, and you get on some of those tankers that ship things all over the world. It's incredible. But a third of those ships, those cargo ships, whatever's out there in the oceans, probably from tsunamis, I don't know. But the shipping industry is going to be ravaged in, in this event. And uh, so a third of the ships will be destroyed. Can you imagine the turmoil on the earth. Well, we've got to finish. So look at verse 10. It says, The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of this star is called Wormwood. Uh, vile poison is kind of the idea of the word. The name of the star is Wormwood. So this meteor, whatever, you know, I mean, as John sees it, it's a star. You know, the star is larger, you know, but anyway, so the star is called Wormwood. And it says, so a third of the rivers... And, and think about how many major rivers there are in America and, th and think of, uh, I don't know, the dozen, I don't know how many major, 12, whatever, half, a third of those gone. Uh, springs of water, the, the fresh water springs are, are, are poisoned. And the name of this star is called wor Wormwood. And a third of the waters became Wormwood. And, and many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. Now, all these are judgments going on. In, in the tribulation. We've had seal judgments and now we're in bold judgments. Let's look at one more and then we'll close. It says, The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon. So now the moon and the sun changed, you know, and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Now, Jesus says that men's deeds are wicked. And he tells, and he says, Jesus said in John 3 that, that men's deeds are wicked. And that men love to do wickedness, not in the daytime, but in the what? Night. Now, and of all the things I've mentioned, all the destruction, all the wrath that's going on on the earth, these are all judgments. And aren't you glad you're not here because God did not appoint you to wrath. 
But one of the other judgments is it's going to be darker, longer every day. And people do the deeds of wickedness in darkness. So the moon's not going to be as bright in its cycle and the sun's not going to shine a third of its time. So the nights are going to be longer and the deeds of men that they do their wicked deeds and darkness will go on and on and on. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Now we've had... We've had those uh, four, we've had four blasts, trumpet blasts. There's three more to go. Each one's a woe, <clears throat> and we'll stop here. Then I looked and I heard, and I and, and I, I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. <clears throat> woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets and the three angels that are about to blow. So, and then we're going to take a little break before they do it. But, but so now, and you can see chapter 9, what happens in chapter 9, you have these entities coming out of the abyss. You have the demonic world springing forth on the earth. So now the next three judgments on the earth during the tribulation are the last three trumpet blasts. And so John sees these as three, just like the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first four seals, he sees these three as the three woe judgments. Woe, 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 what's coming upon the earth. So folks, that could be said today for anybody that's here that's not a Christian. You ever thought about that? If you met Jesus Christ today, would his judgment fall on you? Or would you be the one that's in the light? Have you been saved and born again? Or are you walking in the light? Just let me give you this illustration. We'll close. I, my my step-granddaddy was a, was a shrimper. He was a retired shrimper. He spent his life on the water. And so when he married my grandmother, <clears throat> I, I had advent, we would, I would spend my summers, this is in Fairhope, in Fish River. And uh, <clears throat> so... We, I had advantages as a young man when we get to go fishing. We, we had assets that other people didn't have. My step-granddaddy would go shrimping and get shrimp, and we would fish with live shrimp. And Anyway, so we had advantages. But a lot of times we didn't fish in his big boat. We would fish in a skiff. And I'll never, and I'll never forget, he, this was, you know, they were poor. In, in the world that I'm in, they were poor. Uh, they had a lot for what, they did a lot with what they had. But anyway... So we had a little skiff, and they would, we would go out in the skiff every day. But my granddad, we, we, uh, we were always getting tangled up in Fish River, and he would lose anchors. And so he started making his own anchors. And he would take a, a bucket, and he would fill it with concrete, and, and that would be his anchor. And that's the anchors. We had two anchors for our little skiff. And so for many, many years when I would go fishing with my grandparents, when they would find our fishing spot, they would say, you know, put your anchor out. I would be at one end, they'd be at the other, and I'd get to put, but I was putting a, a bucket that was just solid concrete, and that's what you would put. And if you lost it, so what? You'd go home and make another bucket of concrete, you know, for your, for your anchor. I say all that to say this. <clears throat> the Bible says, those of us that know Christ have an anchor for the soul. 
And it says, that anchor is sure and steadfast. Now think, do you have an anchor for your soul? In spite of anything that might happen, in spite of what might happen in culture, in society, politics, do you have an anchor for your soul? Or yet we might say, have you been saved? Have you been born again? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and our hearts are open unto the Lord. And, and in just a moment, we're going to stand and sing a hymn of invitation. And we're just going to take a moment and talk about what are we talking about, a hymn of invitation? Well, number one, if you're here today and you've never been saved, <clears throat> I've pleaded many, many times from this pulpit about needing salvation. So if you're here today and Folks, I remember what it was like to be lost, even though I've been saved 40-something years. The fear of being lost, I still remember. But folks, if you're here today, and <clears throat> maybe you've played games with God, but you're not going to get away with that. And deep down inside of you, the part of you that makes you you, your soul, you know you're lost. And you also know that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. You need a Savior. Because if you don't have a Savior, you're going to answer for your sins. Has your life been changed? Have you been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ? So in a moment when we stand and sing, we call it an invitation. <clears throat> and I, along with those of us that are saved, we're inviting you. Come down front and talk to me about what it means to be saved. Is today the day that you're going to surrender your will, repent of your sins, and give your life to Jesus Christ? Is today the day? The other part of this invitation is for those of you who might need to make a Christian decision. Maybe today is a day of rededication. Maybe today is a day of church membership. But if God is impressing upon your mind and your heart to make a commitment and make a decision, this is the time to do it. Father, we pray that you'll move among us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. We stand and we sing. We stand and we sing. Change my heart, oh God. You know it. You know it well. Sing it with us. <clears throat>